coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are... Mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well... <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like... Mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again? <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. John Ziegler, you're listening to the nationally syndicated program where each Sunday we provide you with an honest and independent view of the news of the week from a conservative perspective, something that's exceedingly and increasingly rare in this new era of Donald Trump. Hope you're enjoying the last of your Thanksgiving weekend, or at least enduring it, depending on what your travel situation is. This program is going to be a little bit different than the normal free speech broadcasting program. In hour number two, I'll be discussing why Leah Brandon is not on the broadcast, and we'll be doing something which we do about once a month or so called Ask John Anything, which has quite a history to it, where I'll be answering any questions you have, whether that's uh, about the news or about the program or about me, and where we will... Now I'm getting a dial tone in my ears. So that's fan- We're off to a fantastic start on this edition of Free Speech Broadcasting, but... What we're going to do is a little bit different in that normally we take a look at the news of the week for three hours, uh, but uh, this particular week, because of circumstances that are a little bit unusual, we're going to be uh, doing Ask John Anything in hour number two, which allows you to ask me anything at all, whether it's about me or the program. You can do that via my Twitter feed, Facebook, or email, and you can find all of that at freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. So if you have a question you want to ask for hour number two of Ask John Anything, feel free to go there and email me, Facebook, or Twitter, any question at all, as long as it's reasonable, and I will answer it on the program. In hour number one, we are uh, looking forward to being joined by a very special guest to the show, uh, and he is a a Democratic congressman by the name of John Yarmuth, who is from Louisville, Kentucky. John and I used to uh, broadcast a television program together way, way back in the day. 
on the NBC affiliate in Louisville, and he's a Democrat, but he's also the most honest Democrat I know of. And so we haven't had a chance to speak to him since the election, and I wanted to have an opportunity to do so. And since John has graciously agreed to stay up past his bedtime uh, for the first hour of the program, we're very excited to discuss a, a whole host of issues related to the election and beyond with Congressman John Yarmouth from Louisville. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you, John. You're absolutely right about my bedtime. <laughs> I can tell it's a little late for you. And we got off to a little shaky start, but now that you're on the show, everything is fantastic and glad to have you with us. Before we get into the election and all sorts of craziness that no one ever expected, including neither you or me, I do have to ask you about the big news of the weekend, which was that uh, obviously the former dictator, as I'll refer to him, of Cuba, Fidel Castro, finally passed away. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of differing reaction by world leaders and by commentators. And while it's difficult to paint everybody with a broad brush, uh, the reaction of of many people on the left in the media and even by President Obama, which was criticized very strongly by Cuban-American Senator Marco Rubio as being pathetic. I I, want to ask you, John, as as someone really one of the last few unabashed liberals, especially as a, as a white male liberal out there, could you help me, and I sincerely want to understand, could you help me understand why it is that so many of your fellow progressives and liberals seem to have a tough time calling Fidel Castro who he really was, which was a brutal, murderous dictator? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, when, I, when I read um, President Obama's comments, I kind of understood what he, what he was doing because he's trying to... Um, to, to react in a way that doesn't undermine the course of policy changes that he's initiated. But clearly, um, you know, if you looked at his comments versus Donald Trump's, in a way, I thought it was kind of like Goldilocks. But I think, you know, one was too probably a little bit too hot, one was a little bit too cold. But if I had to say who was closer to the right, uh, the right comment, it would be Donald Trump. Wow. Now that's something that is we've already made news on this program. Democratic (laughs) Congressman John Yarmouth. Can I go to sleep now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's 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 my show. So no one's really paying that much attention anyway. So so you're not going to worry about this creating a firestorm in all likelihood. But uh, but that's extraordinary. So you John Yarmouth, Democrat from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, congressman who uh, may end up being the ranking member on the budget committee. By the way, congratulations on that potential. Uh, um, I guess you would, would, would that be a promotion? You, is that, is that forthcoming well, I, for you? I think so. Yeah, I think so. It, it, it um, makes me officially part of the leadership in the house and, and uh, you know, I don't know how much power it gives me, but it does elevate my profile a little bit in terms of having a forum and, well, that's, congratulations uh, on good. using that yeah. forum to to back Donald Trump in comparison to Barack Obama <laughs> when it came to the reaction of the death of, of Fidel Castro. I'm sure that's going to score you a lot of brownie points in the Democratic right. caucus. <laughs> uh, that's all right. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I've been to Cuba. I've talked to a lot of the people about Fidel. And, of course, I've followed him basically my entire life. And this guy wasn't a good guy. And... You can say, well, he gave health care, you know, they have a great health care system, which they do, and they have a good education system, which they do, but they paid a dear price for that and in terms of other freedoms. And their economy is, is, um, is one that certainly has not lifted many boats in Cuba. And 
the, the denial of rights uh, at, at virtually every level over the last 60 years has been deplorable, to use a well-worn term now. So, <laughs> well, um, well, that's why we yeah. love you, John, because of your honesty. And uh, I agree with you. I thought uh, Trump's statement was far closer to the truth than Barack Obama's was with regard mm-hmm. to the death of Fidel Castro. By the way, Real quick, with regard to your promotion uh, as the uh, it looks like the ranking member of the of the budget committee in the House of Representatives, does this mean that you, John Yarmouth, are going to end up being the the voice of fiscal restraint in a Trump administration? Is that what we can look forward to? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's certainly possible. And I think one thing we've learned this year is that anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, we, we were only in, back in session for one week after the election because uh, we were out this past week for Thanksgiving. And my conversations with my Republican buddies is that they are totally freaked out. They have no idea what to expect. Um, you know, they, they all wonder whether they're going to be at odds with their president or, or, or um, in, in alignment with him. And that, that's clearly where a lot of Democrats are, too. You know, we see a possibility of Donald Trump on a number of issues being perfectly fine, and <laughs> but we'll, we'll have to see. I, you know, you, well, you know, you and I have talked about this. I've read many of your comments over the last year, and this guy is someone who is is willing to turn on a on a pin and doesn't have any core ideological beliefs. Wants to be liked, and um, so who knows what kind of you know, he may be one of the biggest spendthrifts that ever occupied the White House. Very interesting start to our conversation with Democratic Congressman mm-hmm. John Yarmouth from Louisville. John, hang in there. Stay awake. When we come back, uh-huh. we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about the hows and whys and everything else regarding this crazy election and John's view of it, as well as mine, on this, the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. We're joined by Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth from Louisville, Kentucky. And John, our first opportunity to speak with you since the dramatic election results, which I'm sure at least in part you were you're not happy with. How surprised were you by them, Congressman Yarmouth? Well, I, I, I was pretty much stunned like most people were you know, up until about Seven o'clock on election night, Eastern Time. I thought everything was going to be fine for Democrats. I had looked at at the exit. At, well, I guess it wasn't exit polling, but the the early returns from uh, Florida, which looked like there was no way Hillary could lose Florida, which means she couldn't lose the election. And it was stunning. Although I really shouldn't have been surprised. Uh, Kentucky was kind of the canary in the coal mine a year before when we had a very, very similar governor's race, uh, an outsider saying all sorts of crazy things, um, running against an established politician with ultimate you know, great qualifications. And the weekend before the election, the Democrat was five to eight points ahead in all the polls and lost by 10. And the, the parallels are pretty, pretty striking. Well, 
John, there's so many different reasons that have been given for why this happened. Uh, in my view, you know, the, the, there, there's always going to be a ton of reasons for anything that's shocking. But if I had to pick one, uh, I think there was Democratic voter complacency, especially in Wisconsin and Michigan, partially because I think there was a, a sense that, sh- that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And a lot of Democratic voters there just didn't show up because they didn't think it was necessary in those states, which they thought weren't even going to really be contested. And then in Pennsylvania, he just pulled off you know, an amazing feat of, of turning out a, a demographic that hadn't turned out in many, many years, uh, which came from rural Pennsylvania. And then those three states really decided the entire election. What, what do you make of that analysis? Well, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of validity to it. Um, you know, overall, it looks like the vote turnout was pretty good. I mean, there were about 5 million more votes cast in the election. But I think you're right. Uh, Democratic voters did not turn out. It's the same thing that happened in Kentucky the year before. And whether it was complacency, whether it was lack of energy um, or enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton, uh, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, you know, in Pennsylvania, I know that Hillary's comments about coal mining really hurt her in the southwestern part of the state. Uh, and, and those are people traditionally who should be voting Democratic. Well, shouldn't they say shouldn't, but should, but have voted Democratic. So, but clearly it was it was those three states that, uh, those three or four states that made the difference. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Now, I'm kind of shocked, John, uh, that the letter from FBI Director James Comey, in fact, the two letters, one about 11 days out, the other mm-hmm. two or three days before, have not gotten nearly as much of the blame or credit, depending on which perspective you have on this, uh, for what happened, as I would have thought, I, I personally think that if those letters never occur, that Hillary is almost assuredly uh, the president of the United States, uh, because I think she wins those three states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan, under those circumstances where the polling was very clear that she would. Do you agree with me that sans those two letters uh, uh, that uh, that, in fact, uh, Hillary does beat Trump? And are you also surprised that more isn't being made of what the FBI director did. Yeah, and I, I am in a way. Uh, when when the first letter came out, I was one of I, I know virtually every Democrat who's playing in this game that just you know my my, my stomach turned. I said this is death. Uh, it was it was instantaneous uh, dismay, shock, uh, disappointment. I, I knew that that was going to be a a real death blow to to the campaign. So, you know, but it but it's like everything. You know, it's like the Louisville Kentucky football game yesterday. We lost on a field goal in the last uh, last half half a minute, but you could look back at ten different plays during the game that all all might have made the difference in the game. And certainly that was something that yeah, I think Democrats are probably a little loath to talk about that now because it sounds like sour grapes. I know Hillary said that publicly after the election, that that was what cost her the election. And, you know, whether it cost her the election or not, I don't know. I know it cost us a lot of down ballot races. Well, it's amazing that, uh, that to me, that so little has been made 
considering uh, the potential impact of that, as well as the potential impact that Ru- the Ru- that Russian government had in trying to influence this election. Are you surprised? What in- what influence do you believe Russia actually did try to exert on this election, John? Real quick. Well, you know, I I think it was significant, and I've I've read a lot, and I actually seen some TV shows about even the fake news sites that the Russian government has sponsored, and people working from over there sending up bogus uh, American news sites with fake news. Uh, clearly, they had an, an impact on the election. And again, with something overall, if you're talking about 10,000 votes in, in one state or 27,000 votes in Wisconsin, uh, these are all things that make a difference. We're speaking with uh, John Yarmouth, congressman from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. Stay with us as we continue. In the next hour, it'll be Ask John Anything right here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Thanks so much to Congressman John Yarmouth for his time in what would have been a fascinating interview, especially the way that it started off. But apparently, uh, due to uh, technicalities beyond uh, my control or our knowledge, on at least some of the stations, if not most of the stations on which we were being broadcast, for some reason, the audio from John was not hearable, which is really pretty much the first requirement when it comes to doing an interview. Wouldn't you think? I would think that would be number one. Can you hear what the person is saying? And unbeknownst to us, although we had suspicions, that was not achievable. Which is, by the way, pretty much the first thing, I'd say that maybe the second thing, you should be able to do when you have a radio show is to take a phone call interview and put it over the air. I I think that probably would be right after having the voice of the host go over the air, having a phone call and being able to put that on the air and have it, have it be able to be heard would probably be the second requirement of doing a talk show. So it's been a tremendous couple of weeks here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. If you weren't with us last week, boy, did you miss a first hour. Because last week we had a technical problem where our new plan, our new process to have the co-host of the time, Leah Brandon, on the program, that failed, which created a complete cluster fark, which I will discuss in hour number two of the program as I open it up to any and all questions for Ask John Anything, which you can ask via my Twitter page, Facebook, or my email, which is talktozig at AOL.com. You can find all of that at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. So last week, did the whole show, having no ability to plan for doing the whole show alone, because we weren't able to do the co-hosting thing, originally because of a technical problem. 
that we didn't know about until like a minute before we went on the air. And now we try to do an interview, which would have been a fantastic interview. And it turns out that most people can't even hear it. And the most amazing thing that Congressman Yarmouth said was when I asked him about the reaction to the death of Fidel Castro, he actually acknowledged that Donald Trump's statement about the death of Castro was closer to the mark than that of President Obama. This is a liberal Democrat congressman who's going to be the ranking member on the budget committee next year. And he makes that extraordinary statement. By the way, a statement which in a rational world would make news. Of course, it's not going to make news because no one can even hear it. So there's not even a recording of it that I'm aware of. So it effectively never happened. But it's an amazing statement for for Congressman Yarmouth to make. And it's part of the reason why we love him on this program, because he tells the truth. It's so incredibly rare, especially in this era of Donald Trump. No one tells the truth anymore, especially in politics. But uh, Congressman Yarmouth did there. And I was very much looking forward to discussing with him other elements of what really transpired in this election. Because I really think that the results are profoundly misunderstood. Everybody has their own agenda. Everyone wants to create their own narrative for what really did and did not happen. And I was as outspoken as anybody that Donald Trump was not going to win that he had a very, very low percentage chance of winning. And the reality is that he ended up winning a ridiculous series of coin flips on Election Day. He got clobbered in the popular vote. And frankly, we now know, based upon the popular vote, that the national polls were really not far off at all. Hillary Clinton is going to beat Donald Trump by well over 1% maybe close to 2% by the time it's all said and done. She's going to win by over 2 million votes. Depending on how you define it, Donald Trump will do far worse in the popular vote than many, many, and almost anybody, almost anybody in the modern era who has won. As a matter of fact, Hillary will have done better than at least three presidents who did win. In the popular vote, better than Kennedy in 60, better than Nixon in 68, maybe even better, depending on how you define it, than Carter in 76, and clearly better than Bush in 2000. Those are people who won. And I'm no fan of Hillary Clinton. I'm just a fan of the truth and telling you what actually happened and trying to figure out how we interpret what transpired. And, you know, just today, Donald Trump is still tweeting weeks after having won the ultimate vindication of anybody could ever even imagine Donald Trump tweeting today that he actually won the electoral college. He won the electoral college by a landslide, which is just flat out false. That is just just flat out ridiculous. It did not happen. He won the electoral college because he won three states in incredibly close margins, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. If those three states go in the opposite direction, which they easily could have if another 100,000 or so Democratic voters in those three states had shown up, he loses the Electoral College. Forget about the popular vote. He loses the Electoral College. So he's tweeting out there that he won the Electoral College by a landslide, and he is also saying he would have won the popular vote If not for the millions, 
his words in a tweet, the millions of illegal ballots cast, illegal voters, millions of them, if they hadn't voted illegally, millions, he would have won the popular vote too. Now, this is an extraordinary statement on so many levels. First of all, he's the president-elect. He shouldn't be bothering with this type of stuff. But obviously, this, this talk of hacking and contesting the election and getting maybe some sort of a recount in those three states and Jill Stein raising the money to do so has gotten under Donald Trump's incredibly thin skin. Because he should not even be worried about this. Forget about tweeting about it. Forget about lying about it. Forget about lying about winning Electoral College votes by landslides. Forget about lying about he would have won the popular vote if illegal votes hadn't counted. Think about the illegal vote thing, by the way. Not only is there zero evidence or logic that millions of votes were cast illegally. I know a lot of people out there listening to talk radio want to believe that. It's not true. There's no evidence. There's no logic. And it's not true. And here's how you prove it's not true. Go do yourself a favor. If you believe that there are millions of illegally cast votes, presumably by people who are not eligible to vote, so presumably illegal aliens, undocumented immigrants, illegal immigrants, whatever you want to call them, presumably that's who Trump is referring to. It's the only thing that makes any sense if you're going to say millions of them. So he's got to believe that there are millions of illegal immigrants who are voting illegally. If you really believe that, well, you've got a first of all, a major math problem. Go Google the congressional results for the 2016 election. Take a look, district by district. All you got to do is just take a look at some of the districts in Southern California from where I'm speaking to you tonight. Here in Southern California, just take a look at, for instance, some of the congressional districts in San Bernardino or Riverside counties. That's where you got a, a large population of illegal immigrants. And take a look at how many people voted in those congressional elections in comparison, say, to my friend John Yarmouth, who sort of kind of joined us in the first half hour of the program. John Yarmouth in Louisville, Kentucky, where there's almost no illegal immigration problem, he got well over 200,000 votes. He crushed his opponent, crushed his opponent. It wasn't even close. It was a non-competitive election. His opponent got more votes in that congressional district where there's no illegal immigration than some of the people who won competitive races in Southern California. Now, why is that? It's because there are no voters. Because huge portions of the population is not eligible to vote. Now, if those people were voting illegally, you wouldn't be seeing, you might see a little drop off in the vote totals, but you would not see massive drop off. Like for instance, 40, 50%, maybe more than 50% in some districts drop off in comparison to other congressional districts. And for those of you who do not know, each congressional district in the United States of America has effectively the same number of people in it. Not the same number of voters because a lot of those people counted are not citizens and therefore eligible to vote. But the reality is that 
if there was a massive illegal immigration voting problem, I'm not saying there was none. I'm sure there is some, but it is sporadic and it is insignificant. And I have not seen one race that you could argue, even on the, on the congressional or on the presidential level, where you could argue that it made a difference. There's not one state that rationally Donald Trump could say, you know what, I would have won this state if not for illegal voters. I mean, you could, I guess, make a theoretical argument about Nevada. Nevada was fairly close, and presumably there are a lot of illegal immigrants in Nevada. Could they theoretically voted? I guess there's no evidence for that. And, And to me, the ultimate proof of that is if there was a massive illegal immigration voting problem. I'm not saying that we shouldn't worry about it or prevent it. I'm just telling you it doesn't happen in large numbers, at least not yet. I'm all for making making sure it stays that way. But the reality is if that was happening, you would not see enormous, massive 50% plus drop-off in the vote totals in these congressional districts, which have large populations of illegal immigrants. And yet here we have the president-elect of the United States, Donald Trump, saying point blank that there were millions of illegal votes, which of course begs another question. If there are millions of illegal votes, which they're not, but if that's what our president-elect believes, then why doesn't he want there to be a reevaluation of the vote. That's a massive scandal. Why should we believe anything then if there are millions of illegal votes? But the reality is there were not. This is a megalomaniac, egomaniac, narcissist who is upset because his victory is being discredited in some really not very mainstream circles because he lost the popular vote by a lot. And because now there's this effort to try to do a, a recount, a reevaluation, whatever you want to call it, in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. That's how sensitive he is. It's unbelievable. And my agenda here has nothing to do with Democrat, Republican. It's not even pro-Trump, anti-Trump. It's about the truth. And when Trump lies, someone's got to call him on it. Some conservative out there has got to be, out, be willing to call Donald Trump out on his lies. Very few people will do so. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. It's about economics. It's about not pissing off the Trump audience. It's about making sure you you tell people what they want to hear, because that's what talk radio has become. Tell people what they want to hear, keep the audience, and keep the scam going. Well, and for better or for worse, I don't do that here. All right, we'll take a break. More on this when we come back on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the... Free Speech Broadcasting Network. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. In the next hour, we're going to do, uh, and we'll see how long this takes us. I mean, we, I'll do it for the rest of the evening if, if uh, the questions are, are good enough. Uh, but we'll be doing Ask John Anything, and I'll also be explaining uh, what happened with uh, Leah Brandon last week. 
Uh, but you can ask me any question you want, whether about something in the news, about this program, about me. As long as it's not an imponderable and it's appropriate, I'll answer it with a no BS answer. You can ask those questions via my Twitter feed, Facebook, or uh, by email. My email is talk to Zig. That's T A L K T O Z I G. Talk to Zig at AWOL.com. You can find all three of those ways of uh, contacting me through our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. We'll start that in hour number two of the program. Uh, finishing up hour number one here. With regard to, unfortunately, the interview that was cut short with uh, Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth due to yet another technical problem here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network, one of the other fascinating elements of what Congressman Yarmouth was saying is that there are a lot of people within Congress who really believe that Donald Trump is going to end up effectively being a Democrat. And this is something that I have warned about for over a year, that if somehow Donald Trump did get elected, that if you thought you were going to get anything close to a conservative, you were fooling yourself. You were naive. And I think this week we really saw in spades that that fear was not overblown. And I sense from Congressman Yarmouth's comments that a lot of Republicans in Congress are quietly terrified of what they're going to have to end up facing in Congress because there's going to be a hurricane force wind blowing them in his direction. And a lot of Democrats going, well, hell, this sounds pretty good to us. Well, this week we now effectively know that a whole slew of Donald Trump's more conservative promises during the campaign were nothing more than a way to dupe GOP voters. There's not going to be a wall. In fact, in his video that he put out, the only thing he referenced about immigration for the first 100 days was about cracking down on abuse of visas. Seriously. The wall and the deportation force became cracking down on visa abuse in the first 100 days. Not that I think this is particularly conservative at all, since I think it's anti-constitutional, but he also effectively this week came out and said, you know what, I feel bad for Hillary. I'm not really going to appoint that special counsel, like I said, special prosecutor, like I claimed, at a presidential debate. And where at my rallies, we were having people scream, lock her up. Yeah, never mind. Forget about that. That never really happened. Because now it's the election's over and... That's really run its course. There's no use to that anymore. I kind of like Hillary anyway, if you didn't notice, since I gave her lots of money to her campaign, her foundation, invited her to my wedding. So, you know, I'm not going to do anything to actually lock her up. That was all just a ruse. We're also seeing that the effort to repeal Obamacare might be undercut. We're uncertain about that one. But there are all sorts of other things that have people on the right very antsy already. It's clear that his view of President Obama has dramatically changed. He's apparently talking to President Obama quite a bit (laughs) after having called him a very, very good man. Gee, I'm sure that's going to be real helpful to have President Obama in Donald Trump's ear, the guy who he called a horrible president and 
the founder of ISIS and said wasn't eligible to be president. I mean, this is, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it is. It's just flat out ridiculous. The reality is that he's backing off everything he told the New York Times that maybe, you know, he's open to keeping the climate change treaties, the Paris Agreement, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. He might have just been telling the New York Times what they wanted. But he also told the New York Times he's changed his mind on waterboarding because apparently uh, Marine General James Mattis told him that doesn't work. <laughs> so, yeah, forget about all that stuff. I guess also forget about killing the families of terrorists. I'm sure forget about stealing the the oil. I, I mean, just forget about all that stuff. All that stuff that sounded really cool and at least plausibly conservative. Yeah, we can forget about that. But the trillion-dollar infrastructure stimulus package, yeah, we're going to go for that, even though we hardly ever talked about that during the campaign. So, you know, that to me has always been one of my major fears about Donald Trump, that he would turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger once he became elected. At least Schwarzenegger gave it a couple of months before he caved and did what his wife wanted him to be, which was to be a Democrat, and we've seen what happened to the Republican Party in California ever since. I'm sure we'll talk more in uh, the next hour and the hour following that about the news this week involving Donald Trump, including, by the way, this issue with regard to whether or not he'll pick Mitt Romney as his secretary of state. I do want to get into that. But in hour number two, I'm going to explain where Leah Brandon is and is not with regard to this program, as well as giving you an opportunity to ask me any question you want. Ask John anything via my Twitter, Facebook or email. You can find all that information at our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's coming up next right here on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.